Well, good morning again, everybody. Uh, last week, we, we looked at a few things, and I, I want to—I I was telling Ken uh, earlier that we've got a couple of really cool series uh, planned coming up, and uh, they're a little bit more in-depth than what we're going to talk about right now. They take a little bit more uh, study and stuff like that, so I want to make sure that they are almost done before I even preach the first message in it, so be 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 looking forward to that. I'll tell you the first one. I love to listen to podcasts, and one of the podcasts that I listened to, they were talking about the prototype player at each NFL position, and I thought to myself, well, what does the prototypical Christian look like? So that's what we're going to go through. That's going to be one of our series: is what is the prototype Christian? We're going to look at that, and then also I thought it would be nice to take a look through the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11 and actually talk about each of those people, their good things, their bad things, how did they end up in the Hall of Faith, what can we learn from them. So that's coming later, in the future, but you can be, uh, be keeping your, uh, your, your, your eyes and ears and hearts ready for that. Today, however, we're going to hop into Revelation, and over the next seven or so weeks, we're going to look through Revelation 2 and 3. Now, Revelation is my personal favorite book of the Bible. Not the parts that we're going to preach out of, but the, uh, the later ons. I love prophecy, and I love reading about the end times. It's just something that's always fascinated me. But you've got to be careful when you're looking at that stuff, because it can be easily misinterpreted and, and stuff like that. But don't worry, we're not going to talk about that stuff today. We're going to be talking about Christ's letters to the seven churches. And each week, we're going to take a week and, and look at these churches and what did Christ have to say to them? And through them, what might he be saying to us? I'm going to warn you at the, uh, at, the, at the jump here, some of these are going to be incredibly convicting to you. Listen to it. If you're sitting there, let me tell you this. If you're sitting there and you're going, man, the Spirit of God is just weighing me heavily right now, it's probably because he's trying to say something. But also, if you're sitting there and you're going, well, that's not me, but you know who that is? That's that church over there. Or that's that church over there. No, that's you. The reason that we're going to look through these churches is to take a look in the mirror. And some of it's really good, but some of it's really harsh too. And that's okay. In fact, that's a good thing. Because as we're going to see, a good number of these churches, including the one we're going to talk about today in Ephesus, started off really well. And then fell off really hard. And Christ is calling them to come back. So let's take a look at it. We're in Ephesians chapter, or not Ephesians, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It reads, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write to the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary but I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's dive into this. It's not one of the points on your note sheets, but as we read through these seven uh, letters, I want you to take note of how John, or, or how, well, not John, but John writes how Christ is described, because each one is different. So today, we see he's the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. What are these things? So number one is lampstands and stars. I want to take you back one verse into Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, where it reads, As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. It's a mystery, except it's not, because Christ answers it. And if you really want to hear this incredible description of Christ, go back into the preceding verses in chapter 1 and read through those. It's incredible to see how John sees Christ in this vision on the island of Patmos. So that was number one, lampstands and, and, and stars. The lampstands are the seven churches, and it's a physical representation for us, right? God doesn't need to stand among all the lampstands, and I don't personally believe that there is a lampstand in heaven for every single church. I believe it's a not a metaphor, because he sees it there, it's literal, but that it's for us to help us understand. And then these seven stars are seven angels, each dedicated to each church. Now again, I do not personally believe that what the Bible is saying is that each church has its angel that is dedicated to it. I don't see anywhere in scripture that says that. Now I also don't see anywhere in scripture where it says it that isn't true, but it's not something I'm willing to stand on. I do believe though that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, which includes angels. So they're here. Whether one is specifically dedicated to First Baptist Church or not, doesn't matter because they are here nonetheless. So that's what this is. And so that's where we see him. He's powerful enough, big enough, that he holds these seven angels in his hand. And he stands among the lampstands. That beginning verse, it, it portrays Christ's might, his power. He is the almighty. Okay? So that was number one, lampstands and stars. Number two, God cares about your works. God cares about your works. How often do we hear, oh, well, it doesn't matter as much what you're doing. It's your heart that matters. No, it matters what you're doing, too. And we're going to talk about the heart here in a little bit. But God cares about what you're doing. Verse 2, I know your deeds. It's the first thing he starts out with. I know your deeds, and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you have found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. He starts off by saying, listen, people of the church in Ephesus, I know what you're doing. Remember where Ephesus is. It's in modern-day Turkey, western Turkey, right on the coast. It was a port city. It held one of the seven ancient wonders of the world with the temple to Artemis. Now, the ironic thing is that Artemis is a Greek goddess who was sworn to, uh, to never marry, to never have sex 
which is something that the Greek gods and goddesses wildly took part in. Except she didn't. She's a maiden. And yet, to worship her in this temple, you had prostitution. It was one of the centers of it in the Greek Roman, Greco-Roman world. But Ephesus is this port city where there's debauchery everywhere, there's trade, there's this. Think of it as Las Vegas if Las Vegas was on the coast. That's what Ephesus was. And this church is smack in the middle of it. And Christ says, listen, I know what you're doing. I know your deeds. You persevere for my name's sake. When everybody around you is saying, no, give in to your carnal desires. No, worship this goddess and this god and this. No, do this. No, get drunk and all this. You stand firm for my name's sake. You are a light in a dark, dark, horrid place. I got to think in a place like that, that the demonic influence was through the roof. This was a church that was not in the quaint little town. This was a church that was smack in the middle of the battlefield. And yet they have not grown weary yet. They have not given up. They keep fighting. Doesn't mean they didn't grow tired. Doesn't mean they weren't physically and emotionally and spiritually drained at times. But what it means is they did not give up. They did not give in. Doesn't mean they were perfect. They sinned just as all of us do. But they kept on going. So your works matter. But see, so does your heart. So number one was lampstands and stars. Number two is God cares about your works. Number three, your first love. Your first love. But this I have against you. It's like Christ said, I got good news and I got bad news. What do you want first? And Ephesus was like, give us the good news. No, never take the good news first because then the bad news will ruin it. Take the bad news first and then be uplifted by the good news. That's how I have always done it. But here comes the bad news for the church of Ephesus. You have left your first love. You see, the people of Ephesus, much like us today, much like Christians throughout generations, they had a zeal immediately after their salvation. They had this burning desire in them, this fire that raged to do the work of Christ, to love the people around them, to see others come to him. But over time, and remember this book was probably written, oh, 60, 70-ish A.D., right around there, so over the course of a few decades, they've grown not weary of doing good works, but they no longer have the heart for it. It's no longer about, wow, I need to see this person come to Christ. I need to see the temple of Artemis shut down because nobody's going there anymore. It's no longer about, because I, I want people to love him. It's no longer about that. It's become to them about, well, you know. I go to church on the Sunday morning and I put my 10 in the offering plate and if they need some help, I'll do it because I'm such a good Christian. That's what it had become to them. It was no longer about people. It was no longer about Christ. It was about them. It had become a social construct to them and nothing else. And here's the sad thing. Left... I have this against you. You have left 
your first love. It does not say you have slowly fallen away. No, it says you have left your first love. Consciously chose. You no longer cared. You consciously chose not to care. And you might be sitting there and go, well, how do you do that? How could you consciously choose not to care? By consciously choosing not to care anymore. That's how you do it. It's very possible that this generation of Christians in Ephesus is a second generation of Christians. So you had the first generation which comes to Christ through Paul and, and, and the others, and they, they have this zeal for Christ, and then these are their kids, or these are the secondary people, and they don't have that zeal. They don't have that pure love. They're Christians, but they don't have the pure love. So they keep doing the good deeds, but they no longer care in their hearts for people. Their works had become just works. It's in 1 Corinthians where we read right all of the kinds of stuff that if you do anything without love, it's nothing. These people were doing nothing. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and we will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. He tells them twice, repent, repent. He doesn't want to remove the lampstand. He wants to leave the lampstand there. He wants his people to love, but he's saying, listen, if you don't, I'll take away your lampstand. I'll put a new one in its place in a different city that is willing to do my work in love. And I'm here to tell you this morning, church, that at First Baptist Church, if you don't do his works in love, he's more than willing to have somebody else do it. And you might sit there and go, well, at least I don't have to. Yeah, until you get to heaven and you're staring into the eyes of your Savior, of your Maker, of your God, of your King, and he goes, why? Why? I gave you so much. Why didn't you repent? I warned you, why didn't you repent? I didn't want to do this. I never understood, right, when my parents would say something like, you know, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I never got that idea. I'm like, no, this hurts me pretty bad. But that's how I picture Christ. He's up there and he's got his hand on the lampstand in Ephesus, of the, 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 the Ephesus lampstand, and he's going, this is going to hurt me so much to remove this. Please don't make me do it. But I will. If I have to. But see the great thing is right. That Christ doesn't just remove it. He says listen. I'm writing to you. I personally Christ. Am writing to you. Through my apostle John. To repent. I'm warning. I'm giving you a last chance. I've placed you right in the middle of the thick of it. You're doing good works. That's great. I need you to do more. I need you to have your love for me again. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, who were the Nicolaitans? The belief is that they were the followers of Nicholas, who if you read back in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, he's one of the, I believe it's seven Greeks chosen to oversee the widows in the church that were not receiving what they needed. So it appears that he starts off at least pretty good. 
but he falls away. And there isn't a ton written about the Nicolaitans. And the reason I believe that is because Christ, I believe God, literally wiped their record because they were so horrendous. Here's what they were doing. The belief, the wide-held scholarly belief, people way smarter than me believe that what they were doing. The belief was that they lived a, quote, free Christianity. They said, the spirit is what receives grace. My body, this flesh is inherently evil. Therefore, I will sin however I want to because the flesh doesn't matter anyway. My spirit is secure, so I will sin. And in a place like Ephesus, there were lots of places to sin. You have drunkenness, bars everywhere. You would have had prostitution, whether it be for the worship of a goddess, a fake religion, or just because you were horny, and various other things. They believed in this free Christianity, one that Paul directly says no in Romans, where he says, so may I, should I sin more so that grace may abound? Let it never be so. These followers of Nicholas preached exactly against the gospel. See, they weren't even trying to do good works. They were too busy living in their own sin. The belief is that this, this system of belief would have held great sway over people that held some sort of political power that would have had a lot to lose by following real Christianity. So they compromised. The Nicolaitans, instead of following Christ to change the world, changed Christ to follow the world. They flipped it. And Christ says, I have, this, I have this, that you are against them. You have that. You haven't fallen so far that you're one of them. That's good. Which means you still can catch this before you've hit rock bottom. Church, I'm not standing before you this morning and screaming at you and saying, Faith, their First Baptist Church is the church in Ephesus. It's not what I'm doing. But I'm going to tell you that we've all been there at some point, and my guess is there are some of you sitting there in this church, in this pews right now, that are there. That have come to a place where you do good works, but your heart's not in it anymore. I have been there multiple times. I'm 24. I'm half your age. And I have been there already multiple times in my life where I go, I'm doing good works, but I don't care about these people. I don't care what Christ has to say. I don't love them. And yeah, it's great that I'm doing good works. But in the end, my heart's not right. So I want to ask you this morning, where's your heart at? Yeah, you can look and go, well, I'm not like them that do this. But you know what? Christ still says I'm going to remove the lampstand even though they're not the Nicolaitans. Because it doesn't matter what the rest of the world is. It matters who and what you are and who and what I am. This church was not placed smack in the middle of an ancient city that held all kinds of debauchery. But there's all kinds of debauchery here bars and if you believe there's not prostitution then you've kept your eyes kept your eyes closed because there is throughout this country not just here there's all kinds of carnal sins that take place 
And while we are not smack in the middle of an ancient city, we were put smack in the middle of a battlefield nonetheless. So my question for you is, are you like the church in Ephesus? Where's your heart in it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you give us grace. Thank you that you call us to repent. You don't just remove. You say, listen, repent, repent, repent. You give so many chances, and I thank you for that because I have needed so many of them in my life up to this point, and I know I'm going to need so many more. But help me, Father, help us to not need as many. Help us to, when we see people, we love them. Help us to do the good works. Yes, continue to do good works. But help us even more so, Father, to have our hearts in the right place. To always return to our first love, yet never to leave it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But God, here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Father, we praise you. It's in the name of your Son we pray.